Well, if you're here visiting for the first time, we have been going through the story, as we mentioned, and it's been a phenomenal journey. It's a 31-week journey, and what we're doing is talking about the grand narrative that's laid out in the Bible. It's the story of God with man. And it's been exciting because I think oftentimes we read the Bible and it's okay for us to do so um, in in sort of individual bite-sized pieces. You know, what's my word for today? And that's totally appropriate. You can go to the word like that. The Bible says of itself that it's living and breathing. It's a two-edged sword that, that, that cuts even down to the very motivations of your heart. So you can open up Ephesians or Philippians or Judges or what have you and you find God speaking to you, a rhema, a word for today, a living word for today, and it just cuts right to your heart, and you go, oh my goodness, Lord, that's good. And you should read the word that way. But you should read the word that way also in mind that the scriptures are the history of God with man, culminating in Christ Jesus, and therefore it brings context to God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that in Christ, those same promises have been given to you. And so it's exciting to look at the grand narrative and to see what God was doing with his people throughout history from Adam until this day. And so that's what we've been endeavoring to do. And it's been a lot of fun, hasn't it? You guys enjoying this? Good, good. Come on, that's what I'm talking about right there. Hallelujah. That man has been equipped to do the work of ministry. All right, let's jump in here. I have the joy of sharing today about Ruth. Yes, Ruth the faith of a foreign woman. So here we go. Um, I've taken the liberty of grabbing a few of the key verses here in the story of Ruth. So I'm I'm moving through Ruth chapters one through four. I'm gonna jump right in. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And so a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and they lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. And Naomi said to her two daughters, go back, each of you, to your mother's home, and may the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. And may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And at this point, both Orpah and Ruth, uh, they, they turn to her and they say, no, 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 we won't do such a thing. We want to stay with you. And they resist her. Return home, my daughters, she says. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. In that time, the way that uh, people were taken care of is that if, you're, if you became a widow, if your husband died, then, then you could wait in that same family and a brother would marry you and give you a child, and then you would raise up that child in memory of your dead husband. And that was the way that Social Security worked, was that you were within the family, and the kids, when, it's when God said, uh, children, honor your mothers and fathers, that meant you were gonna care for them throughout all of their years. 
And so when she's speaking of this, you know, though I have a son tonight, would you wait for them? She's saying, are you going to wait around that many years, even if I had a son now? There's no way I can take care of you, ladies. So go back to your own homes. Go back to where you came from and try to, try to be cared for because I can't care for you. That's what she's saying. And then she finishes with, because the Lord's hand is turned against me. It's more bitter for me. The Lord himself has turned against me, Naomi says. At this, they wept aloud again. And then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Now, this is a terrible time for Naomi. She's struggling with grief and loss to the point of encouraging Ruth to return to her false gods. Think about that for a minute. She's not sure that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob can redeem this situation. She's not sure that God can come through to the point that she encourages these beloved daughters of hers to go back to where they came from, to go back to idols. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. In John 15, 12, and 13, Jesus speaks, and he's speaking to the disciples and telling them, go make disciples of all nations. And here's the main message I'm wanting you to understand. My command is this, love each other as I, Jesus, have loved you. And greater love has no man than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And Ruth, in this moment, she's choosing to be that kind of a friend. She has no assurances that she's going to be taken care of with Naomi. But yet she says, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and I in our friendship. Isn't that extraordinary? And so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Naomi means pleasantness. It means my delight. And she's saying, God has not given me pleasantness and delight anymore. He's given me bitterness. And so I'm changing my name to bitterness. And you can see that Naomi is still in the midst of depression and discouragement. She can't pull herself out. She believes that God has brought this all upon her. She's even changed her name to accept what she thinks God has done. And it's in the circumstances of this broken planet that we face death, disappointment, discouragement, and in some cases, unanswered questions. And we can earnestly end up giving God credit for what Satan and sin and death and man have done. And it's in these times that God has given us the only thing that will carry us through. Someone who remembers our name even when we try to change it. Even when we don't answer to it anymore. 
Someone who ignores what needs to be ignored while never forgetting what is true about us. It is in these times that we have this one thing that God has given us. Friendship. You see, the book of Ruth is about friendship. The name Ruth means friend. It means friendship. It means the beauty of friendship. When you read Ruth in the Bible, you are reading the second greatest example of friendship that God wants to present to his people. And of course, the first example is Christ himself who gave his very life. So when you see that name, Ruth, as a, as a, as a, as a Hebrew speaker, you would look at that and go, oh, the book of friendship. Oh, the book of friendship. Proverbs 18.24 says this, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Naomi is in the place where had she picked unreliable friends, there would be no book of Ruth. But Ruth is more than family. She has also chosen to be a true friend. I love this quote from Henry Nouwen. When we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find that it is those who instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness, that is a friend who cares. And Ruth, she shows this beautifully, this facet of friendship. This is not the only facet of friendship, this quote, but I think it so paints a picture of one of the important facets of friendship. To provide for herself then, Naomi goes and she begins to glean wheat in the field of Boaz. She, 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 they move into the town and, and Ruth is looking then to take care of her mother-in-law, who is her dear friend. And I think it's okay for us to say, I'm going to get to that in a moment. So she goes to take care of him and, and, the, and the way of that land was that if you were a widow or if you were an orphan or if you were poor, you would go and you would glean in the fields. And so as the workers were working, you would go and whatever grain they missed, you could pick that up. And that was written in the law of Moses to leave room in the fields for people to come and glean it. So she's gleaning. And so she goes into this particular field. It's a field of Boaz. And as Boaz looks out and sees this woman gleaning, he asks his workers, who is this woman? And they tell Boaz who this woman is. And so he approaches her. And as he approaches her, and, and at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. And may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, Ruth has earned equity in the hearts of the whole town, the whole area, because of the friend that she is 
to Naomi. You see, real friendship earns you a place in the hearts of others because they see how you are a true friend to others and you become someone to be trusted. When you're a friend to one, you become a friend to many. When you are a friend to none, you remain as such. So then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working. And the name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers or kinsman redeemers. Now this is so beautiful because just a little while ago, Naomi was so broken and so hopeless and so vulnerable that she was ready to change her name to bitterness and go home alone. But Ruth was a friend to her, or I should say, friend was a friend to her. And she carried her through in that moment. She ignored the things she needed to ignore, and she reminded Ruth of the things she needed to remember. She said, far be it for me to leave you, Naomi. Your God is my God. Remember who you are. You will be my friend, and even death won't separate us, Naomi. Now let's go. I don't know where we're going. I don't know what's going to happen. But this thing I know, whatever it is, I'm going to be by your side. And now Naomi has found hope again. You see, Naomi isn't just some loser victim. You have to realize that Naomi was enough of a friend to Ruth. Because Ruth isn't some superhero non-human. She's a real human like us. And Naomi was such an amazing mother-in-law to her that Ruth is not willing to leave even though they're no longer held together by marriage. Ruth's husband has died. Naomi's husband has died. There's nothing holding them together now except friendship. But Naomi has been such a friend that Ruth will not part with her. And Naomi is returning now. She's remembering who she is. And she turns to her now and she says, here's how you catch a kinsman redeemer. Here's, here's how it works. You helped me out to get me here. Let me help you out. And so there's some culturally relevant things that I don't fully understand that involves going and out by the heap of grain and uncovering his feet and laying down and he wakes up and there's, there's Ruth, you know? I don't know, it's like the original, I don't know, I'm gonna not make a joke. Okay, so at any rate, so she follows Naomi's advice. So this friendship is give and take. Did you catch this? This friendship is give and take. Naomi needed to take Ruth's advice earlier. She needed to take hope. She needed to take courage. But now, Ruth is taking advice, and she's taking hope, and she's taking courage, and she does. Come on, baby. There we go. Whoop. Okay. So then she goes, she does this, Boaz wakes up, here's this beautiful Ruth at his feet, and he says, why are you there? And she says, hey, you know what? Naomi told me to do it. And she goes, I know exactly what this means, so I'm going to go ahead and handle everything. You know, Boaz is excited, and he should be. Ruth is a catch. Ruth is a friend. Who doesn't want to marry a good friend? Don't marry some hotsy-totsy that's not a good friend. Marry a hottie that's a friend. Come on. And I, apparently I talk like that now. Hotsy totsy, let it be known. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? 
And then she told her everything that Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So Boaz sets up a meeting with the town elders. Boaz calls all the other people that need to be involved. And Boaz knows that there's another guy who's in, ahead of, uh, is in line ahead of him to redeem this land and also end up getting Ruth as a wife. So he can't cut in, he can't cut in line. He, is, he has to give this other man first right of refusal. So he sets up that meeting. And then Boaz says to the man, okay, he's speaking of this guy who's in front of him, and he says, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And at this, the guardian redeemer said, oh, then I can't redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, I want to take a moment here, and I want to I draw attention to a couple of these words so it's just a side point, but I think it's an important one. This kinsman redeemer did not take a chance on the greatest example, I'm sorry, the second greatest example of friendship that we have in the entire Bible because he was worried it might endanger his own interests. He's called the opposite of a friend. That's a fair weather friend. That's a fan. That's someone who is not looking for true friendship. Oh, I'm not sure I can be friends with you. I'm not sure I'd want to link up with you. It might endanger me. I got to think about me. And so he did. And thank God he did. Boaz was sweating bullets. So then Boaz announced to the elders, quickly, I bet, too. I bet the other guy's like, well, I cannot redeem it because I'm Boaz. I'm like, fine, fine, you heard him, you heard him. Taking his shoe off. There was a shoe thing involved back then. You handed your shoe to the other person. He probably was taking it off like as he was, he's like, I cannot. He's like, you heard him. You heard him. Take the shoe. <laughs> so then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malan's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. And then all the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. And may you have standing in, Ephra in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tam Tam who Tamar bore to Judah. And you guys remember, we just talked about Tamar. Remember? She became in the lineage of God because she believed God's promises. And they're seeing this. They're like, this is crazy. This reminds us of other redeeming stories in history. We remember Tamar, and we're saying, may this be the same thing with you. And this was a prophetic word. This is a wonderful turn of events. Not only is Ruth taken care of, but Naomi and her husband are preserved in the gene genealogy of Christ. Did you catch that? Naomi is brought into the genealogy of Christ because she picked a good friend. Come on. It's extraordinary to see this blessing spoken by the elders. The Holy Spirit was moving in this moment because they prophesied, we know what this looks like. This is amazing. This is the power of friendship. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. 
And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son, for those who like uh, the King James Version, and when he knew her. The women said to Naomi, please, (laughs) praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. And then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David, the father of Jesus. Now, we continue to see the unfolding of the grand narrative as God keeps his promise to Adam and to Eve, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I love this part of our history because it shows us the place that friendship has in the kingdom. Jesus said this to us, I no longer call you slaves, but friends. The ultimate connection in the kingdom is to be a friend. We're adopted by God. We are children by virtue of the work of Christ, but we must choose to become friends with God and one another. Friendship is the highest level of intimacy. The marriages that last are the ones in which each spouse chooses to become a true friend. There are no marriages in heaven, only friendships. We're born into families, but we must choose whether we will become friends with our family members. Many times, unfortunately, individuals miss out on the opportunity to allow their family members to become friends. They hold them into constructs of what the family expects, history or expectation. I'm not saying that it's easy (laughs) at all to transition into friendship at this appropriate time with your children and siblings. But if you're going to have something that endures, you must become friends at the appropriate time. Don't try to become your child's friend when they're still a child. But don't try to remain just their parent when they're an adult. And realize that God begins to call them a young adult at 13. So there's a transition in that 13 to 18. I'm not saying you become like BFFs with your 13-year-old. Hey, dad's cool, right? You want to hang out? Not that kind of friend. (laughs) Good night. Dad's hip. He's hip to the jive that you kids speak at this age. Let's hang, bro. No. We must also be aware that we have to become friends in the family of God. That's us, saints. If we have some strange construct of what other Christians owe us because we're family, while choosing to act as anything other than a friend, then we'll create strain and awkward advances mixed with guilt and duty. How many of you have been slimed by that duty, right? Passive, aggressive comments, and all the while wondering, why am I still on the outside? Why don't I have some close connections with others? If you want to have friends... You have to be a friend. And here in the story of Ruth, the story of friendship, we see an outline of one of the most successful friendships we've ever seen. And from it, Christ was born. 
Can you imagine? In most situations, if a mother-in-law told her daughter-in-law to go away and make a new family, the crazy posts you'd see all over Facebook, <laughs> lots of people would be commenting too. You go, girl. How dare she? After all you've done for her, you need to do what's best for you. Your mother-in-law just kicking you the curve like that. Doesn't she remember how much you loved her son? Doesn't she? She's not even your blood mother. But Jesus says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for their friends. Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And of course, it says again, one who has unreliable friends comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A beautiful example of what God calls perfect love, friendship. Perfect love is friendship. God has made himself our friend. And he's done it at the cost of his own blood. Can I have the worship team come? Ruth personifies this and says in essence, no circumstances are going to cause me to cease to be your friend, Naomi. But she is a good friend. You see, Ruth, she does all of these things. She doesn't just say, yeah, Naomi, you do what you need to do. I'm not trying to change you, man. You need to be who you are. No, no, no. She says, Naomi, I know who you are. And when you forget who that is, I'm going to stay your friend until you remember. Ruth doesn't try to shape Naomi into her, own, into her own image. But she does confront her, doesn't she? When Naomi is walking away from God and saying, let my name be bitterness now because it was God that did this to me. Ruth says, no, your God will be my God. That's how much equity your God has. I'm gonna remind you who your God is right now because you need a friend to remind you who your God is right now. I'm facing the same circumstances. I'm not unaware of this craziness. I don't have an answer for you, but I'll tell you one thing. Me and you will not even be separated by death and we can ask God together. And those are the kind of friends that we need to have. So I love that first facet of the quote from, from uh, Henry, where he talks about we need to be there for one another in those times where we don't have the cure. We don't have the answer. We don't have the advice. We're literally just there, a warm hand, someone present with you that can be silent and say we truly are powerless apart from God. We may die with a mystery, but we will not die alone because I am your friend. I think it's also amazing and supernatural and extraordinary that the second greatest story of friendship is that between a daughter-in-law and a mother-in-law. <laughs> what? That's a, that's a story. That's amazing. Now, I say that not because I'm making fun of either. I say that because you all know in our culture all the jokes are about that, right? Right? Because it is, it's a, it's a very challenging relationship. But here we see that this, even this, what can be the most challenging of relationships through love, this love demonstrated by Christ through true friendship, it can be, this too can be the greatest relationship, the greatest friendship. So if it can happen with Ruth and Naomi, it can certainly happen with the family of God.
And I pray for every daughter-in-law and mother-in-law that they would be friends. I love this quote by uh, Dinah Marie. Oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh the thoughts nor measure words, but to pour them all out just as they are, chaff and grain together, knowing that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keep what is worth keeping, and then with a breath of kindness, blow the rest away. In the kingdom, it says that love covers a multitude of sins. We must understand that in our friendships, there will be a multitude of sins. We will say stupid things. We will do stupid things. We'll forget to call and forget to text. We'll text without emoticons and it'll get confusing. <laughs> we'll be passive aggressive sometimes and aggressive other times. But if you want to have true friends, you must be a true friend, which so often just means talking about the thing and just saying, I got my feelings hurt. I'm really embarrassed. I don't even want to tell you that you can affect me like this. But I care what you think. So, we good? <laughs> and then they say, no, we're not good. And they tell you how you're affecting them. But because you're a friend, you care. And you don't go, well, you know what? I don't need complicated friends like you. Well, here's the news. There's no such thing as uncomplicated friends. Have you ever spent time with you? You are complicated. You want somebody else who's like doesn't get the right? So here's where it is. Read Ruth again. And then be that kind of friend. Jesus took the cup. He took the cup and he said, this, this, this is the covenant of my blood. This is the cost of our friendship poured out so that you can be forgiven for every bad thing you've ever done and every bad thing you're going to do. And so that there will be no separation in our friendship. But, but don't get me wrong, it's costing me my blood. I'm going to have to die for you because I've lived the life you should have lived. And I'm going to die the death that you should have died. So that you can live the life that I'm living. And so that you don't have to die the death that I died. And I am your friend and I choose you, he says. I am your friend and I choose you. And I'm not counting that stuff against you. I'm just asking you to turn away from it and believe that I'm that good of a friend. And then as you're born again, you get to be a friend like that to me. And as he said, love others as I've loved them and lay your life down for them. That means don't be petty. Don't be so sensitive. And when I, make, when I say sensitive, I'm not saying don't have feelings. I'm saying don't think that that's the reason to end a friendship. That's petty. Love is bigger than petty. 
This is a huge part of the supernatural reality of the kingdom. So today, as you prepare to leave, I want you to take a moment. The worship team's gonna begin to worship the Lord. And I just want you to take a moment and say, Lord, help me to be a good friend. Just show me. And just, just ask him for help. And then as you leave today, I want you to go. The elements are on the back table, and I just want you to go and take communion. And remember, this is what it cost my BFF Jesus to be friends with me. Will I, like Ruth, say to my friends, may God do with me ever so severely if even death separates our friendship. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for making us not only just your kids, not just saints, not just the saved, but you said we could choose to be your friends. And Jesus, you said, if you're my friends, do what I command, and my commands are not burdensome. Love each other as I've loved you. Oh, God, help us to be good friends. Search us, Holy Spirit. Show us the areas where we're just being bad friends. So we want to repent, Lord, before we go to take communion, to celebrate the cost, but also the assurance that we are indeed your friends. Amen.